This podcast episode should not be used as a substitute for medical or mental health advice. Individuals are advised to seek independent medical advice, counseling, and or therapy from a healthcare professional with respect to any medical condition, mental health issue, or health inquiry, including matters discussed on this podcast episode. Welcome back to the Unfiltered Podcast. This is episode 17. In today's episode, Dinay, a licensed master social worker, will answer these five questions from our community. 1. How do you learn to trust yourself again after being in a toxic relationship? 2. I don't want to ruin my marriage, but my past experience with abuse is haunting me. How do I keep this healthy relationship alive while healing from a toxic one? 3. Why does being in a healthy relationship after a toxic one feel so hard? Are my expectations corrupted? 4. I know I made the right decision by leaving. She was narcissistic and our relationship was toxic for so long. But I'm just curious, can toxic relationships ever work? 5. What are some signs that a relationship is broken beyond repair? Hi, Dinay. Thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you in this podcast episode. Hi, it's really good to be here. Of course, thank you so much. Uh, today we have five questions from our community. And the first one is, how do you learn to trust yourself again after being in a toxic relationship? Yeah, that's a very good question. So the relationship emotional and psychological abuse affects the most is actually the relationship with self. So one of the first steps to trusting yourself after a toxic relationship is actually really getting in touch with your intuition. And your intuition is that gut feeling of knowingness. So way to do this is using grounding exercises like deep belly breaths, meditation, short walks through nature. We really want people to reconnect to the body, to use your five senses to do that. So seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. Um, They're also known as self-soothing activities. Another way to kind of begin to listen to yourself more, kind of get in touch with intuition is through creativity. So like journaling, writing, painting, dancing, and sewing. The outcome actually really doesn't matter. It's really about the ability to listen to your inner voice and create something, right? To be able to hear what, see a vision and then make the steps to having that vision come to life. And that will begin a relationship with being able to trust yourself. And then we have one of my favorites is creating strong boundaries. I love boundaries. If I could give everybody in the world one gift, it would be the ability to create healthy boundaries. So boundaries are just limits that tell others how to treat us. So what is okay? What is not okay? Boundaries are flexible. They change over time. They honor your opinions, your needs, your wants, while being able to communicate that to others. And give you the ability to say no. So if someone asks you to do something, you can say, thank you for asking. 
No, thank you. And the most important, I think, part of boundary setting is really if someone doesn't respect your boundaries, being able to take action to protect yourself. So that looks like leaving a situation, logging off of devices, or choosing not to spend time alone with a particular somebody. And then another way is really trusting your feelings, right? Like recognizing that your feelings are valid. They have a purpose. Feelings give you a better understanding of yourself and what you need so that you're able to ask for it. And then we want to cultivate self-care, right? Um, physical and emotional health, making that a priority for yourself in the way that feels best for you, that can also build trust. And lastly, right, treating ourselves with compassion, grace, self-kindness, right? Like we learn from the past and we don't dwell there. We remind ourselves that we did the best that we could with the information we had at the time, that we make mistakes and that we are actually doing actionable steps toward change. Thank you so much. That was a comprehensive and very helpful list. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Let's go to the second question. I don't want to ruin my marriage, but my past experience with abuse is haunting me. How do I keep this healthy relationship alive while healing from a toxic one? Yeah, so we want to begin with what we um, call as reframing. So we begin by accepting that we're no longer in a toxic relationship. And what reframing does is it requires you to recreate identity, right? And when you recreate your identity, your language changes. So I was or I am working through, right? And so that keeps the way that you see yourself and the position that you're in in a more active um, place in which you are autonomous in the process. And then you want to communicate with your healthy partner, right? About your fears, about what you need from them in order to move through moments of doubt. And we want people to get really clear about triggers, things that are coming up for them and how to manage through them. And you can invite your partner in this process as well. Like, I need time or this, the way that you're speaking to me may be triggering me. So can you rephrase that? We want to really cultivate a way of um, communicating that is supportive and allows people to process their experience. And of course, you know, getting professional help during this process and leaning on and cultivating a support system of family and friends that really love you and are there for you and um, they're with you during this process. Thank you. Um, the third question Why does being in a healthy relationship after a toxic one feel so hard? Are my expectations cor corrup corrupted? <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. So toxic relationships often don't start off that way, right? Like most often it's a couple red flags and then gradually over time they become more toxic. And so what happens is this leads people not to really trust what they know. So that hardness that you're feeling 
in a healthy relationship, in essence, is you relearning, or for some people, right, learning for the first time what healthy communication is, what it's like to have a partner that loves you, validates you, affirms you, and really wants to investigate your interior world. And so this process requires patience from both parties because this behavior is not necessarily automatic, right? It's just not that way. And we have to learn. And for the partner who's gone through a toxic relationship, sometimes they don't know. And it's that process of figuring out until they know so that we can ask for what we need and, su and support it. But building a healthy, secure attachment is absolutely possible. Mm, yeah, I feel like that's often the case that people don't even realize that they had toxic relationships in the past until they find themselves for the first time in a healthy relationship. Then they're like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And sometimes we're not taught it, right? Like you don't know what to ask for if you don't even know to ask for it. That saying that we don't know what we don't know, right? So it's like that process of learning could be hard, especially when you're older or you're an adult because culture can sometimes signify or message to us that we're supposed to have all these answers. And the reality is we don't. And we're always continuously learning as human beings. <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, then the fourth question. I know, I know I made the right decision by leaving. She was narcissistic and our relationship was toxic for so long. But I'm just curious, can toxic relationships ever work? Ah, this is like the million dollar um, couples therapy question. <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> I would say this, a toxic relationship can work if and only if both partners are committed to change, not just committed to change, but they get professional help and they cultivate the support they need to be able to build open communication, honesty, self-reflection, and key, the ability to manage what we call in psychotherapy um, ruptures, the, the ability to repair. Okay, so but that made me, your answer made me think that if you said you said that it could work only if both parties commit to the like open communication and the things that you listed doesn't that then sound like that it becomes actually like more like actually a healthy relationship or can you then say that it's a healthy relationship or is there always going to be some toxic behaviors that are like always there despite the you know the um, improvements or can you say yeah. something about the Absolutely. It really depends on the person, their experience, and what is happening. But most, what is key is that the toxic, that when we're looking at the relationship, that we have two people that are committed to change, that have taken accountability for the toxic elements within the relationship, and they're actually doing actionable steps to change it. And to your point, that actually does and can turn into a healthy relationship pattern. But you can't get there if both parties aren't committed in the same way, if one person's not taking accountability. You know, we talk about narcissism and when we, there is narcissistic traits, like a person has narcissistic traits and then there's narcissistic personality disorder, which is a whole different element. And so someone with a personality 
disorder is least likely to even think that they need to change in the first place. And someone who perhaps has narcissistic traits may have acquired that from their family of origin. And once they realize that that is a maladaptive behavior, they are then committed to changing and working on it and can thus change. Thank you. Then let's go to the last question. What are some signs that the relationship is broken beyond repair? Okay, so a couple of signs that your relationship is broken beyond repair would be if you're breaking up and getting back together often, that's a sign because what that signifies is either there are unresolved issues within the relationship, for instance, one partner's feelings or needs are not being met or heard or there's not validation, or one partner is putting undue pressure on the other partner to reconcile. And what that also means is someone is not given the space to really process their experience and make a decision for themselves. And then another sign is if you don't feel safe in the relationship. So whether this is because of experience with physical or emotional abuse, if you don't feel safe, then you're not going to message or cultivate or ask for your for your needs. And most likely you're also not going to message your feelings. And then if the bond between the two of you have dissipated, so it's really common in relationships for things to be cyclical. But if you're noticing apathy, loss of interest, desire, enthusiasm, passion, or even concern, if that's present, it's probably a really good sign that the two of you need to separate. And then, of course, if the relationship is toxic. So what is a toxic relationship? Controlling behavior, unhealthy communication, fear of the reaction, fear of not getting things right, right? It kind of goes back to the concept of safety. If you have to ask if your relationship is toxic, most oftentimes it is toxic, right? If you notice yourself staying because of fear of being alone or finding someone new or just simply out of convenience, that's a sign that we need to be honest about what's happening and probably start to make steps toward change. And then lastly, if one or both of you are not willing to work on the relationship, if your partner isn't committed to work on your relationship, you need two people to make behavioral change for change to occur in therapy and couples therapy is often a lot longer than most people anticipate, right? Like if someone has been with someone for 15 years, it's going to take a while to rework that communication pattern. And if both of you are not committed to making that change and it's very hard work and it's it takes a lot of dedication, then that's a good sign that the real, the two of you probably need to move on. Okay, thank you. I have one follow-up question that came to your mind when you yeah. mentioned fear of being alone. Like if mm -hmm. you find yourself staying in the relationship because you have this fear of being alone. If you have a client who comes to you and like says that, hey, like like I would really want to move on from this relationship because we have all these problems, but like... I just fear so much being alone. What do you say to them? If you can give like general, you know, advice, because I know in cases are so like everyone is an individual, <laughs> so it might be hard, but what would you like say first? 
Yeah, I think if there's a fear of being alone present in a client, that often signifies that the relationship with self, self-love, self-esteem probably isn't as developed or grounded as it needs to be. So I think the first step is is saying, okay, why do you fear your own company? What is behind this, right? And to your point, individual people will have individual reasoning for that. But we would work on self-esteem, self-love, being able to create safety for self. And then perhaps the steps to leave will come automatically because people are now in the place where they're prioritizing themselves. They love themselves so much that they recognize that this relationship is no longer serving them. And then they leave because at the end of the day, it's really about what's best for myself in a way that is... um protective, loving, and and kind of ever-growing, if that makes sense. Thank you. And then one more question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned mm, the couples therapy when you mm-hmm. answered the, the last, last question. Are there any circumstances when you wouldn't recommend couples therapy at all? Yeah, I think that if there's a situation in where each partner is unable to emotionally regulate, that makes couples work really difficult. So what I mean by emotionally regulate is that when partners are in conflict, they're either not able to separate, calm down, process their feelings, and come back to the negotiating table. Or for instance, there may, may be other things that come up like, um, ADHD that hasn't been diagnosed or, um, some more work around family of origin and attachment issues. That is probably when I would say, let's look at individual therapy first. And then when we've mastered the ability to emotionally regulate, right? Like if you have a disagreement, there isn't loud fighting. There's the ability to listen to one another, to practice these uh, skill sets that we use in couples therapy, these modalities, Imago, Gottman, if you're unable to just do that, then couples therapy is not for you. You do individual first and then you get to the point of doing couples work. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, today we had great questions and great answers. Thank you for listening to this podcast and thank you, Dine, so much for answering all these questions and joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. Ha, ha, ha.